Dogs of Warcry is a new podcast from the Mortal Realms, focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced, cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. Join us for discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain building, campaigns, and events. In Episode 7, we are going to talk about two more warbands, the Legion of Nagash and your favorite high-flying Dwarden, the Karadran Overlords. From the aesthetics to the tactics, we'll share our thoughts on why you should consider mustering these fighters. Welcome to the Warband. My name is Eric, and answering the call with me this week is Josh. Hello. Paven. What's going on? And special guest, Benjamin. How you doing? Good. How are you guys? Good. Uh, we're welcoming uh, Ben. You've probably heard us talk about him a lot and his Legion of Nagash. Uh, this is Josh's uh, stepson and uh, one of our frequent <laughs> league members. Uh, and we're happy to have you on the podcast uh, this episode, man. Thanks for, for taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule, uh, your nightlife, and uh, joining us. Yeah, super busy ever since quarantine. Yeah. Hey, you could be on like Call of Duty or, uh, you know, uh, over LAN or something. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's heat things up a bit, guys, uh, with the Forge of Mithraxis and talk a little bit about any hobby that we've been uh, jumping into. Uh, ben, why don't you kick us off as our guest? What have you been working on since the last time you weren't on the show? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm working on a lot of Flesh Eater Core uh, models for AOS, uh, so like repainting the Terrorgeist and now i think you've been working on this army since as i mean you've had like a full 2000 point army for as long as i've known you right yeah the more models just sort of pop out of nowhere gotta paint that so gotcha yeah very cool um it's a signature army and uh fantastically painted so uh yeah i'm glad you got more on there pavend what have you been doing over the last few weeks Oh, Eric, I've been trying to really grind out the hobby here. It's been, you know, it's been a little bit of a struggle. I'm sure some of our listeners can feel me just like the amount of like just trying to get it all in. It's really putting a crunch on that evening time. Um, but uh, but I'll give you the rundown. So I started I've made actual physical progress on Gitzville, which is for my circle of paint challenge. But I'll talk more about that later in its appropriate section. Um, so for my current, uh, in-flight pro, other in-flight projects, I sent, uh, I sent Josh a 3D, uh, sculpt, or I don't, I don't know what that, I forget what the file format is for those 3D, uh, printing, um, yep. STL files. STL yeah. files. I sent, uh, Josh an STL file for the final ELO in that box, who's mostly painted, but I can't, ch- you know, check off that, that, uh, that purchase until that's done. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of blocked there because, uh. Um, we're not we're not interacting these days, so I'll you know I'm holding <laughs> off on that one. I'm also working on these Vanguard clones for conquests, and I don't know. I haven't painted like a regiment of a unit in a long time, and it's just really slow going. I kind of redid the way I was doing the paint scheme like halfway through. I didn't necessarily go back and really repaint stuff, but it's been real like I, I've been really grinding through the progress there. But I I can see the finish line. 
Um, also, I don't know if this counts as hobby progress, but given what we talked about on last show, um, one of the things me and my wife have been doing as we've been trapped in our house is we've been throwing a lot of uh, poop out uh, because we watched the Netflix show, uh, whatever, the Marie Kondo Netflix show, where you like investigate each item in your house, and if it brings you joy, you keep it, otherwise you throw it away. Yeah. Um, super on board. I haven't gotten to miniatures yet, but I am very excited to... I'm not going to throw any away. They all bring me joy. Don't ask me again. Um, <laughs> but I am going to give... I'm giving away a lot of like really old like Warhammer books and, and other miniature game books that I just like would never open up again and just taking up space. Um, and I'm also really excited to spend more time on my hobby space and upgrade it. I haven't actually done this yet, but I have been thinking about it. Um, and so I thought I'd mention it here because I didn't make that much painting progress and of what we, because of what we <laughs> talked about on that show. Well, yeah. Awesome. Way to, way to deflect. I get, I get it. Uh, <laughs> all right, Josh, you're up. What you been working on? Uh, I've been working on the, the circle of paint challenge terrain. Um, but I've also taken a few breaks and, uh, working on some dust terrain, painting up some tank traps and ammo crates and, uh, some, Quonset huts, you know, which are like World War II type huts, and also did some casting of, t- of terrain for that. But, but yeah, so trying to broaden my horizons. But it's mostly been trained and painting the terrain. I haven't done any models in a while, but I'm itching to do that. I've also made some uh, wooden platforms and walkways to maybe work in a swamp board, or also to use on top of the pillars for the the circle of paint challenge. So nice, very cool. Um, let's see. I have been working on, uh, I picked up a Fulmeroid Crusher uh, as one of my, as my very last uh, Warhammer store purchase before uh, getting stuck inside. And uh, I told myself that it was going to be, or my plan was that it was going to be a little bit more of a long paint. Like I was going to take it up to my, not just my highest level that I've ever done, but the highest level that I could possibly do. Uh, taking on some of the Vince Venturella tricks. Um, I did some Zenithals and been doing a ton of glazing um, and just kind of treating it gently, like taking time, letting it sit there, think about what color is going next, etc. cetera. Um, I've actually made quite a bit of progress on it because I've really enjoyed it. So uh, almost the last two weeks, about every day, I put a little bit of paint on it here and there. So I think I've basically got it to where I would typically take uh, work, only it looks better than what I would typically do. And I think now it's a lot of just detail work, a lot of little highlights and uh, just more and more detail, minimal, minimal, minimal kind of stuff to, to help bring it up. Uh, because this guy's going to win me one of those gold medals uh, at one of our next uh, paint challenges for sure. Um, but no, it's just been a lot of uh, fun. Uh, in my imagination, this is, uh, he's a freedom fighter. Um, he, uh, has broken his chains and chains and he's, uh, looking to tear down the Varen Spire. So, um, he's, uh, rallying the Fulmeroids from far and wide. Uh, but yeah. And then, uh, my son and I have been doing, uh, Lego pirate ships from scratch. Um, and all he can talk about and think about is pirates right now. And I'm kind of <laughs> loving it. Uh, so we're having a lot of fun with that. A lot of Lego. Uh-huh. Um, yep. So that's, uh, that's how we've been passing the time. All right. Now I'm going to go ahead and stop here, but I'm sure it's going to be a little bit light. How's your path to glory been gentlemen, Josh, Benjamin, 
give us some light in this darkness. Yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, we've only had one game so far since uh, since league has been put on hold. But uh, but it was fun. Ben was playing his Legion of Nagash, and um, I tried out the new Zine Charkonites and um, ended up winning the scenario, but just barely because I had to guard some treasure in the center of the board, and he had to come on afterwards. But he was tearing my models up. But it was definitely fun to try uh, that warband because I hadn't really didn't have any of the uh, the the models on disc, so I didn't have any of that really heavy hitters. But I had I had quite a few numbers, so that was nice. Uh, ben, what was your perspective on the game? Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'd kind of gone up against uh, Zinch in any form before. So, uh, uh, all of his guys having shooting was very scary, especially since my max moved is four inches. Uh, you know, I had to work around that. It was a good game. You've been uh, you've been uh, handicapped by four inch moves since the beginning of uh, Warcry. Uh, but you've uh, yet to uh, switch to a new warband, and I think we're going to be able to find out why that is later in the victory condition. <laughs> uh, Paven, have you gotten any games in? Um, I tried. Uh, I asked my uh, my my son, my seven year old, if he would want to play, and he said no. I'm sorry. It's worth the shot. It's worth the shot. Oh man, yeah, he's too, I... he's, too he's too cool for it. <laughs> too cool. <laughs> 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 that's I, that's understandable. I get it. Uh, my uh, Miles and I have not uh, played any more games. He's asked me maybe one time, but like I said, we've been playing enough pirates. Yeah. Uh, I think he just plays Warcry when he wants. When I've I've not spent enough time with him, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, playing with Legos has probably made it all right. Uh-huh. All right. Now, uh, what everybody's been waiting for the, the you know the circle of pained. And uh, our updates, um, because uh, to this point, I'll admit <laughs> I've provided very little uh, to this conversation, uh, but I promise that's all going to change today. Um, so I'll go ahead and, and, and get it started, because uh, we always like to finish with Josh, because he's going to show us up anyway. Um, so I was able to get um, my the backdrop the city walls uh, backdrop, kind of castle walls, uh, um, glued up a few weeks ago. I've at, since taken uh, a lot of the MDF sprues from my buildings. And I've broken them up into pieces, which is made for um, some pretty good like boards and, and that sort of thing. So I've got walkways going along each of them. It's about six inches up. Uh, I want to make some more uh, at different levels. I've started uh, uh, building the rest of the, I think I built all the other kits in pieces. Uh, in fact, one of the build, buildings I put all together uh, and then I was able to take my Dremel and I thought it was going to perform better than this, but I was able to take my Dremel and saw it in half um, uh, and then later realized I wanted it back together. So I glued <laughs> it back together. Uh, this is this is a hard build, uh, wrapping my head around it. Um, I need to build some more scaffolding and stuff like that, but I've been able to kind of, uh, the P the one that I built to put back together. I do need to like saw off a piece of the roof so that I can set another thing on top of it. Um, so I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, when I have time for it, work's been pretty crazy. Um, but I have, um, 
I'd say three, four of the buildings together, the the main platform at the bottom together, walkways on the walls. Uh, the walls are, I think, are going to be ready for paint. I'm not decided if I wanted to do any like paper mache to kind of bulk them up a bit, or you know, they're just kind of uh, packing paper put together. So I don't know if I want to seal up holes and that sort of thing. I don't know how involved I want to get with the backdrop, but um, but yeah. So there's a bit more of that. I don't think I'm going to be done by next week though, or next, uh, next episode. Uh, so talk about that as as, after we all do some progress here. Yeah. Yeah. But the the energy is high for it. It's sitting out on my uh, table when in between meetings or, or while I'm on meetings, I do a little gluing here and there. So it's been, it's been good. So, uh, next I will pass over to Pavend. How's your project been going? I too have been feeling the motivation of the looming deadline. Um, I, I, so here's, here's what I've gotten, gotten so far. Um, you know, I, I think I've committed myself to submitting a goblin themed board for our circle of paint challenge. And I did, I mentioned last time I'd purchased the goblin town set from Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, I have picked it up and assembled it and I've gotten so far is to, using those pieces, creating a couple cool configurations. And I posted those in our discord, uh, shout out to our discord. Yeah. Uh, great. And I feel pretty good about that. There's probably ways I could even take it up a notch from there. But uh, given that we're in the final stretch here, I think I'm going to just commit to painting those up and doing a couple. I think I need to build a couple more like ladders and walkways to make it like more traversable and more real. Um, since the, Lord of the Rings stuff is all just kind of flat walkways and it comes, it comes with one ladder, but I probably want three more. Um, and then I can get up to like three good levels, which I really like multiple levels in Warcry. Um, so uh, yeah, I, now I got to just paint it all up. Um, thankfully it's all mostly the same material and it's terrain. So it should paint pretty quick with dry brushing. I kind of held off. I initially, I don't want to use, it's a lot of wood and I don't want to use all my, GW paint, so I stole paints from my children, the cra- their craft paints for painting their little projects. Uh, but um, to their to my frustration, they didn't quite have the colors I wanted, and I braided them for it, of course. Um, <laughs> it, there was too much red in their brown, um, and then I went out and bought my own set of apple barrel paints, um, which is just for Dad because he's a, a serious artist. Pavent, I think yeah. I know why your son doesn't want to play Warcraft. <laughs> <laughs> Yelling at him about painting and <laughs> quiet. I'm podcasting over here. Um, <laughs> go to bed. <laughs> so I gotta, nice. I gotta make sure. <laughs> go ahead. Um, yeah, I gotta make sure I have a good recipe, and then I'm just gonna be a lot of dry brushing. We'll see how much washing I do, but I should be getting to a finish line. Um, should be doable in the next two weeks. And if we have more time, because uh, Eric uh, cries about it, then I'll try to take it up an option. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's hand it over to Josh. What All you right. got? I've uh, been making good progress. been uh, trying out my uh, water mixable oil paints for the, the water on my four baseboards. And it's uh, turning out well. It's a it's a little bright, so I need to do a wash to kind of tone down the green a bit. I'm going to go for a kind of a greenish brown, murky water look. But uh, all the brickwork is done, and I've got the 
most of the baseboards are done themselves. I did get the second board worth of columns um, primed, and I'm currently painting those up. But I still have two quarters worth of pillars to prime and then paint. So trying to figure it out because <laughs> the, the process I adopted for painting them is is, is very slow. So wait a minute. Are you, are you worried about getting done by next? I am. I am worried ah, about getting done. Yeah. I mean, not that I want you to fail. Not that I uh-huh. want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I might need to tack on a week or two. Uh, I do have the, some walkways and things to do that I could put on there. And if I had to, I could disperse the pillars around the board and put something else in the middle. But I guess it depends on how complete we want it to be for voting purposes. Yeah. All right. Paven and I will get together and we'll discuss what we should do about this. <laughs> Let's see if we'll allow that extra time. <laughs> uh, very cool. Very cool. Are you happy with it? You enjoying it? I am. Uh, you know, it's, uh, just like with any terrain project that you kind of start it and you're going, huh, you know, I could have done it this way and it might have been a little better. But I was like, no, 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 you're committed now. You got to finish this up. So, sure. so but, uh, but I do think it's going to be a lot of fun to play on. And I'm looking forward to having it all painted up and getting some models on there and then adding some detail work, like some brick walls or, you know, some maybe some chandeliers, not chandeliers, but braziers or torch stands and other kinds of interesting details to add to the board uh, depending on the games being played so yeah i find that's one of the things i enjoy like i've I've enjoyed painting up a lot of little like things that can put be put on the board or not um uh keeping track of them is hard (laughs) (laughs) so they get lost or you're like where did i put that um very cool well it sounds like we're all in a in a place to be motivated um, which means, and that's pretty good. And hopefully that we can turn that into a really nice finish line, uh, even if we have to extend it a bit. Um, but you know, like what else we got to do? So, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll update. Uh, it sounds like we're unlikely to have our deadline in voting next episode. Um, so what we'll, what we'll do is we'll, we'll announce next episode, what we're going to do with that, where you can find, uh, or what date you can find it, et cetera. And we'll set that date in whatever state our boards are in. We will present them, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, all of you listening can vote and share and comment uh, and berate uh, whoever doesn't have it finished, <clears throat> um, and uh, we'll go from there. But uh, awesome! I'm looking forward to that. And then we'll have a great time. We'll have to have a party to play on them all when uh, the time is right. So yeah, definitely. Um, let's jump over to the visions of madness. Paven, what has been coming out, uh, for this fine game of ours? So we've had a couple studio previews from Games Workshop and the big news from Warcry is that we finally have miniatures for the signs of the flame. Woo! Yeah. We, we did it. We made it 2020. It's going to be a great year. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, before I get your hot takes, um, I will I will I will throw mine in there. Um, I love these minis. I think they're great. Um, I think they are just really well executed, cool chaos guys. And um, yeah, I think they are going to be my um, my foray into chaos. So whenever they do come out, I think I'm going to pick them up and play that war band. I'm super excited. I like all the sculpts. Um, yeah, I don't know. What are your nice. What are your all thoughts? 
Um, I I really enjoy them. They weren't what I expected. I was thinking more like um, uh, flagellants or something like that, like uh, devoted of Sigmar type of thing. Uh, but they have a fantastic a- aesthetic and flame is hard to paint. Um, I think so. I think they're going to be a fun challenge. But when it's when you can get it right, uh, it looks so cool. And I think these guys have. Um, a lot of character and I think you're going to see a lot of different flame colors, etc. So yeah, I think, I think they did a great job of, of creating another unique war band that, that stands out on its own. Uh, what did you think, Josh? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I really love the flaming Medusa like heads on, on a couple of them. And I think they did a great job having, uh, some of them look like normal people, you know? So I think they did a great job kind of reiterating that these are war bands that don't necessarily know that they're worshiping chaos in some aspect. And so the, I think that they captured that really well with this particular war band. What yeah. about you, Benjamin? What do you think? All right. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential like for paints and stuff. I always think, I've always thought that painting fire is a lot of fun. So my, I might be fun to paint. Uh, I can't wait to see them on the battlefield and see like how they work, what's their strategy, that sort of thing. And most importantly, I can't wait to play against them. <laughs> nice. Very cool. Any other news uh, out of Games Workshop, Paven? Uh, Warcry specific news. I think there was a, a small fact update for adding the right war. Oh god, what are they called? Rune marks to the yep. to this couple cards. Uh, I see somebody else wrote, add these notes, but um, the Castigator Prime Fighter card has the leader rune mark, and the Saurus Knight Alpha uh, has the leader rune mark. It's kind of things I believe we were expecting to. You know, I think people were playing it that way anyway. Uh, yep. But it's nice to get those things paired up. And I don't. I think we're kind of waiting with bated breath on like what what the next thing for Warcry is going to be. I believe Ben Johnson said during the preview, "There's a lot more down the pipe." Yes, of did. course. Um, uh-huh. It's nice to know they're not sunsetting the game, um, <laughs> but uh, we don't know what that is. We don't know what that is. It could be anything. So um, I hope we we find out. Mm-hmm. Well, crazy enough, we're only, what, about uh, seven months in, and it's been a crazy ride. Uh, so if there's if there's more coming uh, yet this year, um, I think it's probably going to be one of the, the better years for wargaming, in my opinion. Um, uh, so let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll jump into our victory condition and learn about the Legions of Nagash and the Kryderan Overlords. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Everyone in the Mortar Realms crew is rising to this challenge the best way we know how, by staying home and doing more things remotely. We want to keep providing great discussions on narrative and gaming. We apologize for any sound quality issues in this episode and any future release inconsistencies. Stay safe and healthy. Our victory condition this episode is to bring focus to two more warbands, the Legion of Nagash and the Karadron Overlords. We're going to focus on a lot of aspects of these warbands, from our feelings of their narrative and aesthetic, uh, the various fighters available, and how they play on the battlefield. Our hope is that you see why uh, these guys love these warbands and why you might consider giving them a try. First up, uh, we're going to give some space to our guest, Ben, um, and we're going to talk about the Legion of Nagash. 
So the first thing we want to talk about is just our impression, your impression of the Army. What drew you to it um, uh, and, and, and why it's, you've stuck with it so long. Maybe, the, like I said, from the beginning of, of, of Warcry, you've been playing this Army. Uh, let's get into that. Uh, ben, what's, what was your first impression uh, of the Legion of Nagash? Well, uh, the appeal of Legions of Nagash for me, when they initially were announced as like one of the base warbands was that I had, I had all the warband models that I needed. Um, and I hadn't, they hadn't been really used in a while. So I thought it'd be fun to break those, you know, take skeletons out of my closet and do that for a warband. And I just let me get into the game quickly. Didn't, I didn't have to buy anything. So that was good. Nice. So they let you get those skeletons out of the closet. I like it. Um, uh, what, uh, and when you kind of initially that, what were some of the things that made up the aesthetic or the impression of them uh, for you or, or even to collect them in the first place? So in the first place, uh, uh, where these skeletons came from was the getting started box. It had like Archeon or not Archeon, Archon in it. And uh, that, that was my first uh, AOS army. So up until the uh, Flesh Eater Quartz came out, and I switched over to that. And ever since then, they've just been sitting there collecting dust. Uh, I think why I originally got them was because they were easy to paint, because the main part of the... Pretty much 90% of the model is bone, so that it made it a pretty easy to paint uh, for a beginner like I was. And it just sort of went from there. I, uh, Yeah. Very cool. Um, I'll jump in real quick because I also collect a pretty large death army uh, and my theme had been uh, quite a bit of skeletons. So I have quite a few skeletons painted and one of the things I don't have finished up are my grave guard, which I know are uh, can be a really important part of this army. Um, uh, but, uh, and I've, I've, you know, it's one of those embarrassment of riches, so many other cool things, but not too long ago, I'd kind of retired the death and I haven't brought them back out yet, but it does feel like something that, uh, would be a lot of fun to bring back out. And some of it is just that, that shambling, resistant, resilient, always coming back, um, kind of feel of them, which, which I think is a really appealing, um, aesthetic and, and kind of way of playing. Pavend or Josh, did you guys have any, uh, strong impressions, uh, from this army when it first either, came out uh, or first saw it in AOS or for Warcry? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely uh, think one of the interesting things about them is they have this kind of a shambling horde feel where, the, you know, there's going to be a lot of skeletons on the board. And um, and like you said, they keep coming back. And I think that's one of the uh, the neat things about the forest is you can't quite get them down. And, and it's uh, one of those kind of... Uh, stereotypical spooky kind of armies and, and even i know at the initial painting competition we had for warbands last year a lot of people had remarked on how cool it looked you know this undead force because you know people think of skeletons and zombies and, and are really drawn to that i think nice how about you pavement yeah i think they're really cool i think they play kind of well into the theme which is like the necromancer with his uh uh, you know, bodyguard of, of spooky skeletons. Like, I, they have that aesthetic. You're able, all of those models kind of play like that, and they have the abilities, which we'll get to, but to, uh, like, 
resurrect them mid-game. Um, so I think all of that is very cool. Like the they have like one leader, and so you have like the one choice of leader, and I think um, it has like a unique ranged attack for like a unique magic attack for that first wave of world barons, which is cool. Um, yeah, I, I, it's a classic aesthetic, and it's a good execution of it. Absolutely. Now, Ben, what um, speaking in general or from the the Warcry lore, what drives uh, the legions of Nagash, uh, specifically the uh, the skeletons and, and the necromancer. What what's behind their motivation to be in the in the eight points? Well, uh, the reason that legions of Nagash find themselves in the eight points is because Nagash, which is their god, it's you know it's 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 in the name. Uh, he can't be everywhere at once, so he sends his necromancers to the eight points to do tasks that are like what he considers beneath him. And that can be anything from getting artifacts to just playing on spying on the chaos inhabitants inhabitants yeah uh and the skeletons themselves don't necessarily have a will of their own uh so they're just the fodder uh for the the necromancer doing the work um and uh yeah nagash is is the everywhere uh but uh delegates quite a bit um were there are there any books that you've read um uh favorites of yours or have you gotten into the lore much in age of sigmar uh, yeah, I have definitely gotten into the lore of a ton. One of the most notable books I've read just in the AOS and fantasy setting overall was Rise of Nagash, which is um, a pretty big book about the origins of Nagash, and that is really interesting. It takes place in the old world, and that was my first introduction into that setting. Um, otherwise, uh, Legions appears in like uh, the last of the Realmgate Wars novels, and they're they're in the they're the antagonists of like almost every other AOS book that you can find. I have not read any of the old world legions or Nagash stories, but in uh, Age of Sigmar, there was a fantastic story called uh, Nagash Undying King, and it was a great story about um, I would say good necromancers, um, a a group or a a culture of people who worked and fought alongside their ancestors who uh, were kind of brought back into their skeletal bodies, um, uh, which was a crazy different take on uh, the, that whole, that whole existence um, and, and puts a lot of uh, really interesting uh, light onto Nagash and his Mortarks and his followers and how that whole relationship works, uh, which is a, yeah, a really good book to get into. Uh, anybody else uh, have any uh, Legion of Gash stories, short stories that they or or novels that they've enjoyed uh, in AOS? Not outside those, no. All right, let's get into uh, Ben. Let's start talking about some of their mechanics and their tactics and stuff. Why don't you take us through? Um, and however you want to do this, uh, maybe you want to start with some abilities or the fighters or whatever. Uh, how do you want to, how do you want to get into that? I can start with the abilities that they got. Okay. All right. Um, so they've got three doubles, uh, available to them and not including mercenaries, but on their main card. Uh, so first is shambling horde, which, uh, which allows you to uh, pick a fighter and they get an extra move action equal to 
the number of inches equal to half the value of the ability rounding up. But the catch is, is that you can only use it if the fighter is within six inches and are visible to um, a leader, which is which is basically your necromancer. Uh, second one you can choose from is a chosen champion. Uh, it's only available to uh, Graveguard and the uh, Skeleton Champion. Uh, it's a plus one to attack and strength characteristics of one fighter in your warband, and they can use that in that activation. It doesn't hold on for any longer than that. Uh, fighters can only use this ability while they are within six inches or visible to the leader, just like Shambling Horde. Uh, and then uh, the third one is Cursed Weapons, which is only uh, available to the Graveguard and Shenshals, which are like the upgraded uh, Graveguard. So it until the end of the fighter's activation, it's plus one to the damage characteristics of their weapons that have a range three or less. So out of those three, I am typically using like uh, Shambling Horde really helps with their low movement. Just get you can use a a six double or a five double, and that'll get them across the board as fast as a skeleton can. And then I usually go with Chosen Champion. It comes to uh, attack damage for my Graveguard. As for triples, um, you have Necrotic Siphon, which is it damages one friendly fighter, and uh, for a value of the ability, while simultaneously healing the Necromancer, uh, uh, double the amount of the value of the ability. It's perfect for people that uh, like, you know, they're just up for killing their guys for no reason, in my opinion, because you also have access to Respite, which uh, lets you heal. At a, at a lower rate, but it, it's not at the cost of one of your guys. Uh, and the as for tri uh, the second triple, you have Summon Undead, which takes a friendly fighter that has been taken out of action, and you can set him up within six inches of the Necromancer. The fighter no longer counts as being taken down and is removed, and removes the amount of damage points allocated to them equal to the value of the ability. So, I this is really good for like capturing objectives and. A, and overall, just bolstering your uh, your warband during a battle. Uh, Absolutely, and this is probably one of the ones that uh, is good to look out for. You think you've taken down uh, a skeleton on an objective, or you've uh, taken them, um, uh, you know, out of action. You don't have to deal with them again, uh, but uh, they might come back, right? They might mm -hmm. they might uh, bring them back. Now it's a triple, so it's it's pretty likely that you'll be able to get those. It's not like you can often are going to spam that um, or anything, but uh, you definitely have to keep your eye open for it. Yeah. And extremely valuable for those kill the dagger, kill the hammer, kill the shield missions where, Oh, I brought him back. Well, you got to kill him again. Yep. And like I, you said, yeah. Oh, go ahead, David. Yeah. I want to talk about uh, cursed weapon for two reasons. One I think it's incredibly good. So this is damage points allocated by hits and critical hits. So we know this is for every dice now, given the recent fact. It's a double. So it's a lot of damage on a double. And the one of the, the guys you can use this on, the Seneschal, has base four attack strength five. Twos, yeah. and, twos and fives. So that goes up to threes and sixes. Still four attacks. You're probably wounding on threes. And so it's a lot, it's a lot of damage coming out. And it's both swings, which you don't always see on the... So if you you know take two attack actions, it affects them both. But you don't know to see on these damage boosting abilities. And the second reason I want to talk about is is because Ben brutalized me with this move uh, <laughs> in the game we played against. Um, he had he was running double seneschals, 
and I just had to kill his hammer. And like I would go in there, uh, my 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 bounders would 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 bound or my hoppers would hop, and we I could do a bunch of damage. But I was like really trying to piece together to get him off the table in turn three. And then he would just counter swing with one of these guys and just like wipe my squigs off the table. Um, so yeah. real, real strong, real fun game. Uh, that that's I think that's a sleeper. Um, yeah. yeah. Although the summon undead one is like the thematic move that like kind of makes the whole world. <laughs> definitely. Um, yep. I definitely remember that game. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to like chosen champion versus cursed weapon, because they're both very good in their own rights, but they offer slightly different things. So when I have a model say that's uh, within movement range of attacking, he has to use one movement uh, activation to get in, and he only has one fighting activation left. So when it, I'll use Chosen Champion if I have access to a double to uh, get him an extra attack to make up for the the movement he used. And I and then if I don't have to move in to fight a model and I just have two rounds of uh, activations... I feel like uh, Cursed Weapon really shines there because if you're moving in and only have one uh, round of attacking, a Cursed Weapon is uh, much less, I feel, is much less useful than uh, Chosen Champion. But that's just in my experience. Yeah, I could see that feeling like you're, since it's for the full activation, if you only use it for half the activation, it feels a little wasted. I could see that. All right, now let's talk about the quad. Uh, why don't you uh, let us know what the quad is because this one's super tasty, and I think from from uh, you know there's probably some confusion over it initially, um, but uh, I think one of the big questions is how do you use it? When do you use it? Have you used it? Is it awesome? Uh, so why don't you take us through the quad? Well, uh, to answer one, one thing, yeah, it is very awesome. Uh, it's basically the rule is you pick a. Uh, you pick uh, friendly fighters that are within like the six inch bubble, and if you have a quad of four, that's how many guys you can choose. And then they can immediately make a bonus fight or a remove action. It's one or the other, but they can immediately do it, and it doesn't take away from their activations at all. So if I have my guys blobbed up, that's and uh, we're, there's a lot of enemies that they could potentially fight. It helps get them into position for when they do activate, or just get another hit in. Yeah, pretty nice think, ability. Yeah. Have you been able to use it um, having multiple skeletons uh, or multiple fighters all attack a fighter in that in that uh, activation? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I've had many a lot of killing blows because of the Dance Macabre. Mm-hmm. And... I feel its its main power comes in. You're a slow-moving force, so that extra three-inch move really helps a lot with getting into position, or just even sure. if you're going to get in base-to-base. It allows them, during their um, normal activation, to they get to attack twice instead of having to move and then attack. So, so from it, good at setting things up. So it, you're saying is that you're most often using it in its utility for movement, which is an important aspect of Warcry, getting things in the right space, etc. Um, the dream of having the horde attack all at once on uh, an enemy has happened, but it's a little more situational, a little harder to set up or come by. And, and so it's not, is going to be used for that as often. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. 
any other thoughts uh, from uh, Paven or Josh on the quad or any of the other abilities that these guys are bringing? Yeah, no, I've definitely experienced the quad quite a few times, and, and it, it's a really nice tactical ability, and it, it, it's great because it works on models that have activated or not activated. So even if a model spent its whole turn moving and getting into position, then you use Don's Macabre and it gets to attack you anyway. So, so you, Or maybe it chases you down and you didn't think it could reach you the first time. So I, def, I definitely think the quad is, in a lot of cases, more useful than the generic uh, uh, quad ability. So Rampage, you know, even if you get a bonus move and attack, but yeah, just the utility of that many models, potentially getting that extra action is really nice. Absolutely. It's the, the sneak uh, sleeper moves. Um, very cool. All right. We've uh, covered the abilities. Now let's get into some of the strengths and weaknesses of this army. Ben, let's start with the strengths. What makes this army uh, work well on the battlefield? Well, they won't stay down long during uh, due to the summon undead ability. So, you know, you've lost uh, like an essential fighter. You can just bring that guy back. No problem. Uh, unless, you know, your Necromancer's dead. Uh, it's a horde <laughs> ar- army, so you're going to get a lot of activations compared to your opponent. Like, uh, And it, you got super cheap fighters. The Shenshaw, which is you know, 5 strength, 2, 5 damage, is only 120 points. And I'd say that's pretty good comparatively. Uh, and they have a, their uh, Graveguard, they have a high damage output. I've, you know, I've heard them be ca- called small trucks from time to time, and I think that's pretty true. Uh, the, for example, the Shen, the Shenshaw has four attacks, five weapon strength, and two five damage. And the great weapons, they have three attacks, five strength, and two five damage. So, so when you get into your higher tier units, they're gonna have some good damage out, output there. In uh, so many models, is just a really great strategic um, ability to have on the battlefield because. I think it opens up a lot of opportunities that your opponent maybe didn't account for. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, that, that damage output is real high, especially compared to some of, uh, you know, like I look at my rock Tusk prowlers or the heart render or heart eater. And, um, man, I have not been playing in a while. Uh, and it's a strength, uh, four two five uh, profile. Uh, and those are 180 point models. Uh, so just on, on damage output, obviously they've got move and they've got a few other things, but, uh, um, but yeah, if you get, if you get too close, they'll bite you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, what are some of the weaknesses? What, uh, what keeps, uh, what, what balances that out? So as we've heard a lot throughout the podcast, they're extremely slow. Um, most of the models, except for the necromancer is a, uh, three inches where the necromancer is four inches. So. And also, your Necromancer is the only way to bring guys back. If he dies, the, the game becomes essentially harder. Like It's not over, but it becomes much harder because you've lost access to your best abilities. Well, I, on that point, I remember a game uh, kind of overhearing or on the table next to you and Paven playing where I think Paven took out your Necromancer turn one. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you still came <laughs> back and beat him on that one. So uh, <laughs> on hard mode. <laughs> what uh, else they got? They have a lot of abilities that are only usable within six inches of the leader, so bringing it back to the, you know, your necromancer is very valuable. Um, things like Shambling Horde or, and, uh, yeah, and Chosen Champion, those are, they're not only usable if your necromancer is on the table. 
Uh, they have extremely low toughness. Their high, highest toughness is four, and that's only the guys with uh, shields. So you, uh, your graveguard with sword and shield and uh, the skeletons. Everything else is three, um, except for your uh, the necromancer and white king too. Forgot about those guys. But yeah, they're they're all your opponents. Typically going to be uh, trying to hit you on threes and up. Most of your fighters are going to lose in a one-on-one with most other opponents. So they're they're very weak on their own. You need to like if you if you just send one out, they're probably going to get stomped because you know low toughness and relatively low wounds. They're they're good fighters, but if they get hit back, there's and there's no one else to support them. That could be that could be pretty fatal. Absolutely. Now you're you're starting to get into some some tactics or some some uses for them or the the do's and the don'ts. Um, so let's let's get into that. What are what are some things to keep in mind uh, when playing this army? You know, given the strengths and the weaknesses, um, what's important? Well, make sure that your necromancer is very well protected. Uh, you don't if he's straggling out on his own, your opponent can you know very easily take advantage of that. I think uh, when we've played, I think there's maybe two games that we've played where I've even uh, had eyes on your necromancer. <laughs> Sometimes he's pretty well hidden. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I've gotten good at that. At least, at least I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I assassinate him as much as I can. <laughs> so, says the guy who hates it when we take out his uh, exactly. thrall master. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone's got a weak point. <laughs> what else we got so when it comes to list building i i go with skeletons like full skeletons or full graveguard i've gone with a uh, full graveguard a lot as you guys have probably seen because mixing and max ma- matching uh they're, to put it this way they're polar the graveguard and the skeletons are polar opposites of each other so i think Trying to minimize your weaknesses by like bringing in higher toughness guys like the spearman skeletons or swordman skeletons to play with the um, low toughness of the graveguard. I found in like my er- earlier playing that doesn't really ever, that doesn't really work out because you're, then you're missing out on a, a lot of the uh, low the uh, high damage of the graveguard or you're missing out on the high toughness of the skeletons. So I found it's just a lot easier to just go with. Um, Full graveguard or full full skeleton. So does that mean then you're recommending you, you you go with shields as much as possible for the the higher toughness? Well, for my list that I usually take, I usually t- I at like a thirteen hundred point list when we get to that point in the campaign. I usually have six graveguard with great weapons, which are the ones that are very high damage, but they're low toughness. And I two shen shells, and I only bring the like skeleton spearmen if I have like an extra uh, if I have enough room for them in the list. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So what about um, the the spear skeletons? What makes them what makes them worth bringing? Well, compared to the sword skeletons, I found that they perform much better. It, it's true the sword skeletons do get an extra attack, but the the spear skeletons have the extra have a extra inch range uh, compared to the swords, and I think every inch counts when you're playing legions. They have the same toughness, 
and their damage is 1-4. So if you get a crit, and uh, they're causing 4 damage compared to 3. Gotcha. I, I take them if I have, like, because they're 55 points, so I take them if I have, like, that extra, because, you know, why not? And I just, I've always found that the spearmen are better than the swordsmen. Nice. In most situations. Now, you said um, there's a lot of six-inch abilities for the Necromancer, um, and they lose a lot on the one-to-one. So how do you move them around the battlefield? How do you uh, how, how do you keep – what ways or what groups or what what formations do you keep them together in? It largely, largely depends on whether – like the, the card deployment. If my warband is spread out, I try to consolidate. Um, and again, that also depends on like where objectives are, where like high, um, where enemy models are that I really want to get down. Uh, to, if I have my choice, I'll do uh, like a a line of graveguard, uh, right right behind the um, right sorry right in front of the necromancer, and uh, and then the rest of uh, graveguard or shenshals. Uh, to uh, support on the left or right, it just it, that sort of way of playing allows me to respond to a lot of uh, threats, or allows me to reach out to objectives and that sort of stuff. Were there any um, kind of uh, matches uh, where there were some heavy hitters, or uh, you know something that Josh brought at you, or something that somebody else in the league brought at you, where you weren't sure at the beginning of the game if you were going to be able to to handle that, but by playing these guys a certain way, it turned out all right. Uh, yeah, it, for sure. Um, you know, like uh, like your game with Paven where you lost your Necromancer. You know, it's obviously a game where you were thinking, "Uh oh, you know, now what am I going to do?" So how did you how did you play that to, to pull it off? Uh, well, I can't remember that game exactly, uh, but uh, <laughs> I remember I, that game. <laughs> <laughs> I ever uh, overall, I just sort of played to what my opponent's doing. And try to consolidate my forces to best respond to what I think or what I have a good intuition of what he's going to do. Well, to not to leave the uh, the listener in suspense, what happened in that game is I immediately turn one, bounce to your necromancer uh, with one of my squig hoppers using the the gloom spike quad. Uh, when I when I was still playing it, I guess as it's supposed to be played, which is very very strong. But when you felt bad it, about it. Yeah, it was a. It, yeah. Well, it was before I felt bad. Uh, I just thought I was playing the playing the game good. I thought I was just like a tactical genius. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was like a quad five or something, and I was able to do like thirty damage in the first attack. Um, but uh, Ben was able to. It was an objective game where he just had to burn the objectives, and so he just kind of walked past all my goblins and just like put skeletons on like too many skeletons on all the objectives, and uh, was able to, to defeat me that way. Uh, nice. State focus. On the objectives, that works. Yeah. I think Ben does that very well, uh, focusing on the objectives and not getting too caught up on the matchups. And I, I would imagine uh, because you have uh, fragile units uh, that you kind of have to play that way a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I'm not always looking for like at, at what I can kill. I'm just looking about like you know what what the game objective is and how can I use my fragile guys to to uh, get past and get to where I need to have them in order to secure 
the winning winning conditions. So if anybody was uh, kind of playing this, putting this on the table for the first time, um, uh, you would recommend you know uh, sticking to either Grave Guard or Skeletons, kind of, uh, and you like to put the, the Grave Guard on the table. Um, you'd like to keep them kind of consolidated and close. Uh, what what's your typical um, dagger sword shield uh, or sorry dagger hammer shield? Uh, do you uh, you know like when I I play certain warbands, I'll I'll put more in my shield and and try and uh, kind of game it out. Um, do you have to kind of keep them pretty even uh, between the three? I keep them even between two, and then I put whatever I whatever I need in the other. So if I'm going to put my necromancer in either in either either three of them, then that's where most of my my guys are going to go, pretty much up to the limit, just because you know he needs to be alive. And then as for the others, um, in most games I'm, I have access to a white king, so I'll put all the I'll put enough guys as I can in in there. And then for say like the daggers left, I'll I'll maybe have like one or two guys left. Uh, okay. There. Very cool. No, so it, it so you you don't make it totally even to to kind of keep them grouped, but certainly around your leaders uh, or your your heroes, uh, you keep them uh, tight together so they can work together. Um, what some of the so what are you, you mentioned the um, the White King, what are some of the other allies and monsters that uh, you can bring into a Legion of Nagash warband? So you can, you have access to uh, the Night Haunt, Legions of Nagash, obviously, and Flesh Eater Quartz. And as I, I'm trying to remember correctly, because I typically bring the White King, you can also bring another Necromancer, um, but I just, I've always gone with the White King. Uh, for Flesh Eater Quartz, you have access to the, uh, the Avern Ghoul King, if I'm, and I might be wrong on that. Uh, someone will have to fact check me. And then no, you're right. Okay, cool. And as for Night Haunt, you have like a whole plethora of Night Haunt heroes uh, that I can even uh, try to recall the names of. But there's a lot of options from Night Haunt that nice. I would definitely like to look more into. Nice. Now, most of those abilities uh, you, we talked about, like the six-inch stuff. That's, the wording is six inches from your leader, not six inches from a necromancer, right? Yep, uh, from so, your leader. So whoever's leading your warband, um, that's where that area of effect is coming from. So if you had a second necromancer, you couldn't use their area or or distance to, to kick off any of those abilities. Well, it's, it's whoever has the leader rune mark. So um, yep. I'm not sure if the mercenary necromancer has that. I would imagine that, he's do- that he does. He so yeah, none of the allies have leader rune marks. Okay, so then, yeah, uh, the only and I'm looking at the cards right now. The only leader rune mark I see here is uh, from the standard necromancer. So yeah, yep. it's pretty much your necromancer that's giving those effects. And the uh, ally necromancer doesn't have the ability to raise the dead. Ah, no. okay. Man, kind of a necromancer light. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, so what made you pick the White King? So mainly for its triple called beheading strike, uh, you uh, like let's say you have a five triple, that's how much damage is added to his uh, damage characteristic. So his two five goes to a seven ten, 
And, you know, it's only for one attack activations, but it's very good at um, one-shotting a lot of uh, other Warband's characters. So I find that very useful. Plus, he has a 4-inch move, which is it's pretty fast for Legions of Nagash. <laughs> five wounds. Uh, How many attacks does he have again? Four? He's four. Yeah, yeah, he's nasty. Yeah. So do you do you take him and uh, throw him pretty fast into the enemy, or or how do you uh, how do you play him? Well, usually I find my enemy uh, uh, just throws their stuff at him because uh, they they uh, read it, have read beheading beheading strike and they want to <laughs> get that off the table. So really, he's just he's just sort of responding to whatever the enemy throws at him. Sometimes just batting batting practice. <laughs> nice. Uh, now they have a pretty wicked uh, monster setup as well. They have both the the terror geist and the zombie dragon. Um, now you've you've done the uh, challenges for one or both of those, right? Uh, yeah. They're as if my memory doesn't uh, fail me, it's they're pretty similar. Okay. The yep. the monster you're fighting. Mm-hmm. And how did that? Uh, how does that challenge go? So you're fighting. So I did the uh, battle for the zombie dragon, and how that goes is you you have the zombie dragon, and each turn he brings on a random amount of skeletons, skeleton spears or skeleton swords. So not only do you have to try and kill the zombie dragon, you ha- you're trying to kill an endless wave of skeletons. And I actually, no, I'm I'm pretty sure they can he can bring on uh, Graveguard as well. So really, the, your, what your opponent, the, like the person who's controlling the zombie dragon, what he can do is just hide in the corner while an endless tide of uh, uh, skeletons wears you down. So it's a pretty hard battle, and you. Uh, I did not do that. By the I way. was going to say yeah. when yeah. you say <laughs> your, what your opponent could do is that what Josh did? Uh, well, <laughs> I was lucky enough to uh, have some pity. I don't think I, I don't think I would have won that if it weren't for Josh. But and, yeah, um, overall they're ahead. both very good monsters. They're, they're I I find that they're in the mid range of uh, for point cost, and uh, both have decent abilities on top of the standard monster abilities. And I even though the zombie dragon's more expensive, I really I just had more fun with the zombie dragon and. I think he's around 360 points. I could uh, somewhere around there. Have you brought him into a battle yet? I have. I used him once when we're at like the end of a campaign and had 1300 points, and I threw him in there just for fun. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he did. To say he did uh, pretty well is a maybe may an understatement. It, it was a that was a fun battle, and not not only just because I was uh, rocking around with the zombie dragon. Yeah. Uh, is that something you threaten uh, Josh with uh, when he's getting too cocky? Uh, yeah, I'll just go down in the basement and quickly grab the zombie dragon and bring it on. <laughs> Next game, zombie dragon's coming on. Uh, very cool. And, and we've talked about it a few times where we in our league we don't see a lot of uh, people. People aren't bringing monsters to the table very often. Mm-hmm. Um how has it played? Does it feel like it's a useful part of the warband? Does it feel like it changes up your strategy altogether, or is it just this other piece that you get to just have fun with? Yeah, it definitely changes up the strategy. Because Legions of Nagash, it's a horde uh, faction yeah. that you're playing. 
So adding in, they're taking away like 300, 400 uh, of your points that uh, takes away about six or so models. Yeah. So it, it's real. It's a trade-off. You get one very good guy, but you're, you're put, it's like putting all your eggs in a ba- in a basket. So does it make you want to play with more skeletons than Graveguard then, so you can kind of get that body count higher? Uh, no, I. I think I'm <laughs> stick to this uh, graveyard. Uh, he, he prefers offense over defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, uh, kind of give us uh, your overall take then uh, in playing the army over the last uh, seven eight months. Uh, what have been some of the the highs and lows, and and what you would kind of recommend uh, for this army? Well, it's, this has been a very fun warband to play overall. Uh, it's ha- it has some very hard hitters. It's always fun to see the White King get six plus weapon damage. Um, if you're beginning, it's very easy to get into because you only need to get the the um, skeleton warriors box, maybe the skeleton uh, the grave guard box, and a necromancer, and you're you're pretty much set to go if you're not going to get any uh, mercenaries. So it's, I'd say it's very easy to get into. Most of the models are uh, pretty easy to paint, and uh, using the summon undead and the great um, the Van Hell's Dance Macabre, that's at, at the perfect moments. That that's makes some pretty memorable moments. Nice, very cool, very cool. Um, well, thank you for for walking us through all of that. Let's jump into. Uh, kind of this, what we do at the end of it is it, what are some, some narrative takes or some modeling opportunities? How would, how would you, uh, envision the warband? So let's start, Ben. Uh, wait, 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 Eric, we yeah. missed, I, I think we missed a pretty important category here, which is what are our favorite miniatures in the faction and why is it Krell, we, the white, the resin white king model? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's, that's what I use for my white king. I'd say yeah. that's my favorite too. Uh, ben, can you give us some background? Like it's, that one's my favorite that Legions of Nagash have access to. Can you give us some? Give us the uh, give us some of the lore behind that model and like describe it to our listeners. So Krell is a variant of a White King in AOS. He has this. He he's just this over the top skeleton lord, and he's from the. He was a special named character in the uh, old world, uh, the world that was, and I I think he was like one of the first. I I don't know. He's a mortar. Uh, he was so a mortar. Sorry. I think I think he was a mortar during the end times, wasn't he? Like the during the end times, he was turned into a mortar, but I yeah. uh, forget how he was killed. But yeah, he was a chaos warrior. I remember that uh, beginning. Yeah, he originally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then Heinrich Kalmer, Heinrich Kalmer came along and raised him, and that's that's his origins. But yeah, and he's, he's not a character uh, anymore in AOS, so you can just use him as a um, a White King variant. I, he might have his own War Skull card. Yeah, uh, he's got the Black Axe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, just to, just to describe it for our our, uh, our our audience who might not be as familiar with the model, it is a beast of a skeleton lord. He's decked out in really heavy plate. He's got this huge uh, double sided axe that he wields around. Um, just a very cool model. Uh, it is in resin, which is uh, not my personally my favorite material to work with. Um, but I would certainly make the ex- in, make the exception here to to play with this guy. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome looking. Um, but you got to give it to the the 
the core skeletons. Um, it's that I feel like that kit still holds up, even though they're all kind of marching forward because that's just how skeletons would be. Um, <laughs> so Haven is okay. Can I, can I continue down? Uh, no, the... cause I like other skeletons better. And I think the Underworld's Warband group of skeletons are the superior plastic skeleton sculpts. But but those are a different kind of skeleton that have their soul bound to them. So it's not even the same kind of skeleton. Yeah, those are <laughs> Well, 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 well. When you're using them in Warcry as regular skeletons, then you can tell, you can say whatever you want about your skeleton. <laughs> um uh all right now can we move on to narrative takes on the warband i don't know josh do you have favorite miniatures you want to talk about i mean this is a a miniatures game how are we not talking about miniatures yeah yeah, yeah. no crawl is definitely my favorite in the line of the leaf and such a gosh i'm a big fan of the graveguard you know i like their their helmets and their armor but yeah crawl is definitely a, a nice model okay josh narrative take if you were to do this army uh, what would your take be on them? Uh, well, actually, I kind of like what Ben has done, so I'll let him describe that and then add a little bit to it. All right. Um, so I, what I've done is I've taken... I, I got another box of uh, the Skeleton Warriors, and I uh, also got Skaven Tails and some extra Skeleton Bits, and I made uh, Chaos-Tainted Skeletons, because my, my Necromancer is from the Eight Points. He's... Uh, he was awakened, awoken by the uh, Necroquake. So uh, why, he's raising the dead from the eight points. So why would they just? I thought, why would they look like just normal skeletons? They should be like, they should have like uh, the mark of chaos all over them because these are fallen chaos warriors. So that's sort that's that's what I've done. I converted uh, my entire warband. Uh, I actually, yeah, I built an entire new warband, all based around chaos. Like they've got chaos shields to go on top of that. Nice. And I just thought that was a lot of fun to do that. And I don't know if that was what you were looking for, Josh, but there you go. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, so I, I like the uh, the idea, kind of like you went with two Eric, where they're they're from chaos, they're they're from the eight points, and then either infecting them, you know, or tainting them with mutations, or you know, I, I think that's a really nice combination of things to show that oh, this is why we're here because this is where the bodies were, and we just raised them up, and we're doing what we got to do. So. I think that's a really cool concept. Nice. What would you add on to that, Josh? Um, if, if anything else, you know, I might go with like a kind of a swamp based skeletal force. So, you know, so maybe they'll have a bunch of branches and moss and stuff all over them. So it looks like they've just risen out of the swamp and they're marching along to the next, uh, you know, particular area. So just kind of more environmentally themed, perhaps. Nice. Nice. For my army, I love the skeletons. So I kept a lot of the skeletons and used those because there's nothing like it, uh, like them with as many bits, with as much uh, cool sculpts and skulls and heads and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they go together well and they look cool on the, on the, on the battlefield. And they do have quite a bit of posability, uh, despite, you know, kind of the, the marching legs, um, for Graveguard, I did, a um, a kind of the homage because I, or when I was first making a, an undead army in, uh, eighth edition, uh, I created my own conversion of Krell, uh, which was there's a Chaos Warrior model with like the in the power stance with his knee up in the like a stave. Um, I put Corgus Culls, I guess it was an AOS. I put Corgus Culls axe head on that 
Uh, I gave him a Tomb King uh, grinning skeleton uh, and and a Lord Celestance mohawk um, uh, to make a more AOS version of him in plastic. Uh, is a uh, yeah, I love the the story of him and and obviously yeah, as a model and and rules, he's pretty amazing. I went with the Chaos Knight models of the older Chaos Knights. Um, sorry, Chaos Warriors, sorry, with their big heavy cloaks and capes um, and armor and shields. And I put uh, just uh, Tomb King skeleton heads on them with like the, they are a skull with the, the band around the forehead and then down along the sides, uh, the like leather flaps on the sides and just look uh, great as, as like former chaos turned to grave guard. Um, and uh, they're kind of similarly have a very marching forward. Um, but one of the things I don't love about the, the stack grave guard is that they're not that much bigger than the skeleton warriors. Mm-hmm. So I like having a beefier uh, grave guard, uh, but I also converted a necromancer from an ogre. <laughs> an ogre uh, butcher and he's uh, farting out uh, spirit hosts uh, nice he's a, he's a gastromancer those are ones that I, I have like I'm halfway through the the unit that I have and, and they need some more TLC to get ready to, to, to be on the table um, but so I went kind of the and my skeletons are a mix of there's some chaos shields in there and stuff like that so I've kind of got a the potential of a legion and a gash warband that's all like chaos risen back up from the from the dead um paven do you have uh, a take if you were to to pick up the legion of the gash i don't have like any like rock solid kind of uh, fully fleshed out ideas but um you could always go like the dead version of the of different of the different uh, uh war bands so like undead iron golems like kind of sw- use the iron golem kit as the base and then just make them dead with like skeleton heads and skeleton arms um and that could be a that could tell a very specific story um of like uh you know the necromancer that came across like kind of a battlefield and raised up all the iron golems uh, it's, it's same with like splinter finger any of the war bands um so that, that kind of like is a even more specific implementation of the uh of the theme that ben was playing with uh, also on my list here are vampires question mark because um, vampires are cool. Um, I don't know if there's a conversion opportunity there. Maybe they'll hopefully those they'll first uh, make the soul blight will make the, the make their way in right. in the first order because I think vampires have an interesting kind of interaction with um, especially like kind of the followers of corn uh, because they're both bloodthirsty and kind of great combatants. Um, I don't. You know, I don't know if you could convert like kind of make a like a, a vampire um, thrall master or one of like a maybe a more of a emaciated, weaker, lesser vampire, and then have like a bunch of humans that are skeletons that are enthralled to the to the vampire. I don't know if that's a cool idea. Yeah. And then uh, I just or the last thing I have on here is uh, called corns denied, um, and it's just I guess it's skeletons with their heads. Um, <laughs> so I don't know like how you how you really show that they they were not. <laughs> they weren't skulls skulls around. Multiple uh, skulled heads. Yeah, they two heads each. I don't know. Or they like or maybe they're all carrying around their heads. Um, <laughs> like like yeah. the Yorick. Or they got, they got beheaded, but they were able to get their head back. I don't know if there's anything there. Um They all have uh iron chests uh strapped to their like waists and that's where their skull is so they can't be taken. Yeah. 
There you go. I think there's, there's something fun there. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I just thinking too that the skulls box kit has some demon skulls in it. It'd be fun to add some demon skulls to a few of the skeletons you've got around too. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. For speaking of that, I took a Cornite demon's skull and I put that on the end of my necromancy's staff. So. Oh, nice. Oh yeah. Very cool. So all in all, um, you know, it seems like too, like these are you could you could swap in zombies uh, for the skeletons, uh, even though I know there is a a zombie card out there. Um, I believe isn't there? Nope. No, no, there isn't a zombie. So you could play, you know, these guys as zombies, um, you know, raising them from the dead, etc. You can really put any any necromancer or a necromancer could be made from you know any model that's kind of turned to necromancy. Whether that be you know something from the Ideneth range or or Paven as you were saying a vampire or something like that, um, you can really kind of go nuts with the, your leader, uh, and then whatever kind of uh, shambling uh, humanoid uh, you want <laughs> uh, could could uh, take the place of the skeletons. Right. Um, so it, all in all, uh, I think we're all fairly positive about it. Um, you know, you I think one of the things you go up against skeletons and you think they're going to be a pushover. Um, but, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, a great, great design or Ben, you're just good at piloting them. Uh, it's always a fun game, uh, with a lot of challenges to it. So, um, definitely recommend, uh, you picking those up and playing those sometime. All right, let's take another break and then we will get into the Caradron Overlords. A quick shout out to a few patrons of the various Mortal Realms podcasts. Crazy Cushion Pilot, Francis Vanderhuge, Klaus M.A., Rob E. Landon, Steve Foote, Tomb King Tristan, and Dorthru. And these were just the ones willing to be outed publicly. Your support encourages us to explore new ways to contribute to this amazing community. Welcome back. We are on to the second of our two armies, the Warbands, the Caradron Overlords. Josh, why don't you kick us off with uh, your first impression of the army when it came out? Definitely. So as uh, I've mentioned several times in this podcast series that uh, the KO are my uh, AOS army. I've always been a really big fan of the aesthetic combination of Jordan ingenuity and, and steampunk and uh, a big fan of the lore. And, and the, it was one of the first new forces that we kind of saw in AOS setting as well. So. Always been a big fan of the models and the range, and I uh, was really excited when they came out with, uh, for Warcry as well. Yeah. Paven, what was your first impression? My first impression of the KO when they came out for Age of Sigmar, I was, I was shocked. Um, I They were completely unexpected and new, and um, I was like, wow, they're, they're really trying some new things with this uh, Age of Sigmar game. And I was very, and I think it's very cool. Like it's a, a completely new aesthetic for Games Workshop. It was a um yeah, and just like a lot of new interesting territory. I think still to this day there isn't a faction in Age of Sigmar that is more unique and identifiable than the uh than the KO. So big fan I'm going to echo that. Um, a lot of uh, surprise. I did not see it coming. Um, and I love the introduction of flying ships. Um, and I feel like since it came out, I didn't jump on uh, the Dwarden bandwagon. Obviously, I've talked about my alternate uh, Dwar, uh, Drukhari drawn overlords. 
but just I've been obsessed with flying ships in fantasy ever since. Um, yeah, I think they've they they took us all by storm. So, um, Josh, what is your favorite? What are maybe top three models uh, that you that you love from the range? Um, yeah, and let's let's. I don't know if you want to go with the whole range or do you want to stick to the to Warcry. Uh, maybe you stick to the Warcry uh, just because it makes more sense uh, in this particular podcast. But uh, I think one of my favorite models is the Thunder Leader because he has the drill bill, this mechanical bird sitting on his shoulder. And it's just that it's a you know it's a typical pirate sort of theme where they've got the you know their minion a parrot you know so that but they have this mechanical bird instead and it always made me laugh out loud and I thought it's a great model but I'm also a big fan of the uh, the balloon boys the sky wardens and Edwin riggers because I think they're just really unique models. How about you, Paven? So I like the ships the most. The ships are super cool. The ironclad, all dope. Um, for Warcry specifically, um, I like the um, a lot of the models you get out of the Underworld Warband. Um, uh, what are the? I forget. I forget their name. Thundrix? But um, Thundrix, yeah, because um, they have such kind of um, characterful sculpts, yeah. uh, like the reloading dude and stuff. Uh, those mm-hmm. are those are some of my favorites. Yeah, I would say the. Uh, the balloons, uh, the endriggers, and specifically with their chainsaws and um, you know rivet guns, um, I love the idea of short stunties that move fast, um, and and also you know they're short and now they're tall because uh, they're <laughs> flown up high, so they've kind of overcome any uh, challenges of their past. So it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so Josh, what drives them? What's kind of behind? Uh, let me put it this way: uh, what what currents do they run on? Uh, what nice. what gets them what gets them off the ship in the morning? <laughs> well, the the KO are a meritocracy, so they they believe that society and every person or every warden in this case, you you have to earn your you know your status. You have to work for everything you get, and you're rewarded based on what you do for society. The KO and uh, and Warcry, they're the same. They're you know they're motivated by Profit and and the initial quest that's in quest in Tome of Champions is this um, experimental weapon that has been lost in eight points, and so your warband is there to go find it and retrieve this technology so that you don't so it doesn't fall into the hands of the enemy, but then you can also use it in in the, in the future. Awesome. Um, so what? Uh, have you, Josh, have you been able to get into any of the lore, any of the black library books or short stories or anything? And, and if so, what would you recommend? Uh, definitely. Uh, I've read it all. So it's, it's, and, uh, there's a lot of fun things out there. Uh, there are two main authors, uh, that are writing KO lore right now. They do show up in a variety of different books, but KO specific, uh, books by CL Werner, the overlords of the iron dragon and prophets ruin. And uh, also wrote short story of Shiprats and uh, Guns of the Black Eagle. And Graham Lyon is, is started a had a, uh, a short a novella uh, called Code of the Skies, and uh, that had a prequel story beneath the rust. And those are all really nice insights into the uh, Ko culture and kind of how they work, and uh, has lots of fun little lore tidbits in them. Nice. I felt like Overlords of the Iron Dragon, and uh, when they appeared in um, Silver Shadow, is that right? Or Spear of Shadows? Um, I feel like they played a little flat 
um, a little, um, how do you put it? Just, you know, like dudes on ships. It didn't feel like there was any special, like in their combat or in how they played that there was as much, uh, tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, but the battle tome, uh, especially the most recent one, uh, brings out a ton of kind of the hierarchies and, uh, how people get where they, where they're at and, uh, you know, how to make your way. Um, you talk, you know, the, the meritocracies, the, the different, um, flavors of the different, um, um, the different, uh, oh, what are they called? Skyports. Yep. Uh, so I think that, uh, but I have not read, um, code of the skies or, or beneath the rust. So I think, uh, I'd be interested in, in seeing what Graham Lyons take is on them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's different. Uh, it's definitely fun. The code of skies is, adds a lot more insight to some of the cultural aspects. too. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the meat of uh, this warband into uh, some of the abilities. Why don't you walk us through uh, the things you can do with this crew? Definitely. So the they have a, a range of unique abilities. Um, they have three doubles. The first double allows you to give that model a plus one toughness. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of toughness. So most of the model, well. Uh, the Arknot Company have Toughness 3, the Thunderers and the Endron Riggers all have Toughness 4. So you have generally you have Toughness 4 for most of your models anyway. Plus 1 Toughness I don't find as useful, so I haven't really used that in the game before. Uh, the other double is the Grapnel Launcher, which um, allows a model, a Sky Warden or Endron Rigger, with a Grapple Launcher to essentially shoot it up to 20 inches away and then fling yourself across the board within 3 inches of that point. Really cool ability. I could see it be, you know, could potentially be a game winner, game changer, but you have to have a model with a grapple launcher. And I just don't, haven't found room in my warband to, to field that model yet. Um, and the third double is just for the Thunderer leader, and it's called Harrying Drillbill. And it allows you on a double to fly your drillbill 20 inches anywhere on the board and prevent an enemy model from disengaging. And I have used that on a couple of occasions to help prevent models from getting out of combat or moving towards an objective. So that has been useful. Absolutely. There are, yeah, yeah definitely. There are two triples. Um, one of them is for Thunderers only. It's called Keep Your Distance. If they're within three inches of an enemy, they can disengage as a bonus action. And again, that could be useful, I think, on a lot of occasions if you're trying to, you know, especially with the range, minimum range limitation on, on most of the Thunderers with guns. You want to get out of combat anyway, so you can shoot them. But I find the second triple is used most often. It's called Fight for Profit, and it's only used by your leader. But it gives plus one attack to all friendly models within six inches of the leader, or plus two if your leader is within three inches of an objective or carrying treasure. And so this is a probably the key ability that I use in most of my games. Uh, the quad um, is not that useful for the, the KO, in my experience. It can only be used by a Sky Warden, so it really limits it to one particular type of model. It's called Time Charges, and uh, they could allocate the damage based on the ability die number to any mo- to all enemy models within three inches. Or, I'm sorry, all enemy models within one inch, and they get a bonus disengage. So I could see it being useful on some occasions, but again, uh, in the occasions where I've had a quad and I wanted to use it, I found it more useful to use Rampage hmm. with the bonus move and bonus attack with a 10-inch move rather than 
trying to use this. But. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because there's not a lot of abilities that let you do damage to multiple enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the um, Ideneth have an ability that kind of AOE uh, everything within a six-inch range, I think, or three-inch range. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so it seems like it would be a, a really interesting, especially if they, um, I suppose, can your Sky Wardens have a grapnel launcher? Yes, they can. Uh, so if you used your double on one turn and then uh, the quad on the next uh, to get them over there and just blow up uh, uh, a group of your, your enemies, it's kind of a suicide mission maybe. Um, well, but, you know, they have a 10-inch move, so you could even double move, use sure. the ability, and then get your bonus disengaged. So, but Yeah, totally. So it seems like it seems it's kind of like we were talking about with the Dance Macabre. It seems like you could imagine a scenario in which – you're surround, you know, you get them within one inch of three or four, and you lay down six damage on all of them. Right. Uh, but, but the the reality is that that's and like some quads, like it's pretty powerful when it happens, but it's rare. Uh, yeah. And so maybe all that more special. Yeah, and you'd maximize it when you have a high number on the die. So that's that's why it's more memorable, I think. <laughs> all right, why don't you take us through then uh, our fighter types because uh, the the KO have a lot of them. So I don't know if it's worth going through all of them, but but yeah, take us through what you think is important. Yeah, definitely. So as, as you mentioned, there are 23 cards with the KO. So there, there are a lot. You know, wow. Almost as many as the Skaven. Um, and the main reason for that is that there are four main types of fighters. That the Endron Riggers and the Sky Wardens, which both have the balloons, the Grunstock Thunderers, and then the Arknot Company models. And all of those units can have a wide range of different types of weapons. And so that's how you end up with 23 different cards. Um, so... There's a lot of variety and a lot of ways you can choose different weapon profiles, different ranges, and of course the melee profiles are very different. So you have almost too many options to play with. But the first thing you want to start with is the leader. And there are four different leaders, one for each type of fighter. Uh, you, get, you have an Endrin Rind leader, the Skywarden leader, a Thunderer leader, or an Arcanaut leader. And uh, of course they, the, the Balloon Boys are more expensive, so you have to balance how many you have in your warband. They do end up with a little bit more uh, wounds. You know, the Thunder Leader has 22. So does the Arknot Company. And then the Balloon Boys have 26 wounds. So they, they all start with a great number of wounds. Um, and uh, kind of focus on whether you go melee or not. And, uh, and in some cases, you know, what abilities you want. So, for example, one of the doubles, you have to have the Thunder Leader to be able to use the attacking drill build. So uh, otherwise, you, you don't have access to that particular ability. So I found that in this particular list, because you do have so many options, that you really need to spend a lot of time focusing on the balance. So a lot of the strengths, they have everything shoots, you know, all except for one model, which is the Arknot Company with the Sky Pike. He's melee only. But everything has typically, um, you know, if it, if it doesn't have a powerful weapon, it has a range six inches for the Fumigator or eight inches or less. Um, or if it's a longer range, more powerful weapon, you'll have a minimum range of three, and it could be up to 10 inches, 15 inches, or 20 inches. But they have a minimum range. So I found um, that you really want a balance of melee or no minimum range weapons, and then longer range, minimum range weapons, so that you don't get stuck in combat and not able to use your most effective guns. Uh, you also, uh, you know, much like Legion of Nagash, most of them only move three inches. The, you know, the Thunder Leader can move four inches, and, uh, you know, 
the uh, I'm sorry, he moves only three inches, but the Endron Riggers and the, and the Sky Wardens can move ten inches. So those are your those are where you're going to get your fast movement. So you really want to have at least one on your list. And I, and I started with two, which reduced the number in my warband, but I found the mobility very important. Um, some of the weaknesses to counter that is, you know, they tend to be expensive um, overall in terms of model points, uh, especially if you want mobility. All of the uh, balloon boys start at a 205 and go up. So they're, they're really not um, cheap to, to fill out. There's definitely not a horrid list. Um, you know, and, and the, most of the army is particularly slow. You'll always have fewer models than your opponent and tend to, tend to be out-activated. So I found that you really have to maximize your shooting. You have to either focus fire targets down or focus on models that have not yet activated to remove activations and try to equalize the playing field in that particular ability. Uh, and, you know, that re- reduce the number of activations to equalize the playing field um, and allow you to play for those objectives or, or get across the board because you are so slow. Now, you you know, you've got a lot of different choices uh, of, of guns. You know, the Thunderers have four or five different types. Um, the Engineers have a couple. Um, <clears throat> you talked about, you know, kind of swapping those or having a mix. Uh, when have you felt like you've had, uh, have you have you felt like you've built lists that are too weighted in one direction? Um, and, and what was that like? Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't played, I played the, uh, the KO through their main quest line, but I haven't played an extensive number of games outside of that. But my particular war band started with one Endron Rigger, one Sky Warden, which is the basic melee profiles. And then I took the Thunderer leader because I liked the, uh, the flexibility of having the drill bill, but he's also got a great number of attacks and, um, he's slow enough to stay with most of the other war band to use the fight from profitability. Mm-hmm. I went with um, a thunder with a cannon because it's a it's a really high strength attack to help mitigate you know larger monsters or tougher tougher models in the other army. But then I also went with uh, the volley gun, which is a large number of shots but lower strength. And then I went with one Arknot company with a sky pike to be my melee guy to stay close to my thunderer and the other minimum range models to, to keep the enemy away. So I only had six models in my starting war band, at, at, <laughs> yeah. but it was only 920 points because I couldn't add anything else. Yeah. So, um, so it, it was it was really tricky, uh, and some of the missions could be quite difficult. But uh, having uh, two melee focused models being very fast allowed me to maximize getting objectives or contesting objectives, and being able to get back and protect my models as well as keep other models away so I could shoot them down. So nice. I found that um, as, as I got more points throughout the campaign, I added another volley gun just to have extra shots, and then uh, added some Arknot Company, just some basic guys to flush out some numbers. Yeah, and, that's, and I found that helped out mitigate some of that, that low model count to begin with. But Nice, nice. Now, um, currently, uh, the Caradron do not have allies. Um, I'm sure that will change. Well, you can take any of the Order, order allies. allies, correct? Right. Have any of the current order allies appealed to you uh, for the warband? No, I haven't. Um, you know, uh, you know, in the campaign, I, they do have six territories, and I have not yet um, decided to take any allies or any monsters yet. So um, I just haven't. 
even incorporated allies in my other war bands yet either. <laughs> I just tend to like <laughs> to play the main war band as they are. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and uh, you know, some of it is theme too. I'm certain at some point uh, we'll uh, get cards or stats for the Caradrian heroes, um, yeah. you know, fumigators and and um, engine masters, etc., yeah. um, or admirals. Um, and admirals and, yeah. So, um, how about uh, the Charybdis? Um, is is I think the only hero or order monster currently. Um, oh, the Hydra. So, you know, being there's a lot of uh, art depicting, you know, them in the skies, but with like, you know, uh, tentacles coming out of clouds and stuff like right, that. Right. Um, does you know any of these monsters appeal to you? Um, you know, I had. I hadn't really considered. Uh, I really like the the Hydra and the Charybdis models. I don't own one myself, but um, and since I was playing Chaos initially, I you know I never picked up those model sets. But um, it would be really cool to do some sort of Sky Beast as uh, you know, like either tentacles or you know maybe it's a Megalodon, you know, that has yeah. multiple heads or something like that. That that would be a, a kind of a really nice themed way to do the KO Force. Well, why don't we why don't we take that as a point? Is is what was your personal take on uh, on on painting them up or uh, kind of getting them fit for the table? What was your scheme? What was your what was your take on this army? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So they're they're taken from my KO, um, which is my own Skyport called uh, Barak Israel Drakaz, and it's a uh, translates as "City is the Jewel Dragon" because uh, they discovered this huge crystallized dragon beast on a floating island in Shimon and hollowed it out and used that to, to set up their city essentially. And so they, and they also uh, experiment with the crystal and, and aether gold mixtures to achieve new technology and insight. So the, my skyport is uh, they're explorers and treasure seekers, you know, trying to put things in the museum or figure out how they work, and reverse engineer things. So my particular warband came from the same Skyport, and uh, it was called Smitty's Acquisition and Recovery Corps, since they had to <laughs> retrieve, you know, this experimental weapon that somehow got lost in the A points. Send in the specialists, go get that, and bring it back. <laughs> so nice, <laughs> very cool, very cool. Um, uh, let's let's everybody jump in um, uh, and and think of some other uh, or from examples that we've seen narrative takes on. Uh, on the KO ar- army with some other modeling opportunities. Um, Paven, have uh, have any ideas jumped out at you or uh, any that you want to mention uh, for this army? Like I said, I think this army more than any sparks the imagination. Uh, uh, what ideas have uh, come together for you? So for a long time uh, preparing the notes for this episode, I kind of struggled with coming up with like cool takes on the KO because they're so unique. And I just kind of, how do you, you know, like they're already a twist. How do you put a twist on a twist? Um, Wouldn't it just be like kind of back to regular? Uh, But here's what I've come up with. Um, Like, so first, like we're in the eight points. So Chaos Duradin KO. Um, So there's already a lot, many Chaos... uh, Duradin in the eight points. We've seen them in more than one warband. They they have a presence there. They build the weapons and armor for Archeon. Is there a version of the hats and the mustaches um, <laughs> that you can make for KO where they just have right. the you know kind of souped up blunderbusses and they're on their a, a real bad you know bad guy pirates that don't even you know have a code? 
Um, that could be cool. I do really like the idea of ghost pirates. Um, always a fun theme to play around with. And then I just have like general, even more abstract ideas. Um, so my first one is Heart of Darkness. Um, I don't know what that translates into models, but like a group of um, kind of adventurers and, and, and explorers like into uh, going on a quest like into evil. And that kind of kind of uh, that works with themes in the eight points, like why like a kind of a rich group of adventurers would go to someplace so terrible and like maybe they're doomed. I don't know. Um, and then there's like a little lighter spin on that where I have uh, in, in the notes, I have Star Trek slash Rogue Trader. So like the Rogue Traders are explorers in the 41st millennium um, in Warhammer 40K. And they, you know, establish contact with new human societies to trade with them and bring them into the Imperium. I don't know if there's those kind of missions, those kind of mercantilism uh, style colonialism or just like just trying to trade with new people like happening during the age of Sigmar. Um, I don't know if the eight points is maybe the right place for do, to do that. Maybe it's too mil- militarized. Maybe it's too corrupted. Um, but like kind of explorers and voyagers and trying to find if there's anybody worth talking to in the eight points. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the last idea I have is like as a, just like a group of KO like on a rescue mission. Um, like trying to like, you know, a, a squad of lucky adventurers and ne'er-do-wells, um, you know, they're the only person, the only group crazy enough to go into, uh, you know, Archeon's house and break break somebody out of jail. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's cool. I don't know. Those, those, those are the ideas I got. Yeah, yeah. A couple that, um, those are fantastic ideas. And I like I like the idea of theming around um, a goal or mission and, um, you know, like, and, and going either, you could go gritty and, um, you know, uh, noir or, or, you know, like, uh, campy, uh, horror, or you can go super high tech, shiny, um, you know, boldly go where no man has gone before. <clears throat> um, the, you know, one of our, our own Paul, uh, put together the KO when they pretty early after they came out. Um, and I know a couple other people in the, in the, in the AOS community did this as well, but, uh, played off the grot bag scuttlers, uh, putting, uh, grot heads in those, either putting grot heads in those big suits instead of Dwarden, um, uh, hoods or, you know, using some of the other chaos, uh, or other, uh, grot or, um, 40k stuff. Um, and then, uh, Paul put spider legs on his ships, et cetera, uh, which was so, you know, the idea is that they, they don't quite have the ability to make them fly, but they can make them walk. Um, so that's pretty cool. I've seen, uh, you know, Oryx pirates have been a theme for a very long time with, um, the 40 K. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Free Buddhas. Yeah. The orc, orc, uh, orc free Buddhas. Um, you know, so pirates and orcs have gone hand in hand and, um, um, there's a, um, you know, a couple of Twitter accounts that have uh, really fantastic. Um, Are you talking about the guy that's doing the inflatable squigs? Yeah, um, no, no, that's that's some, a fun one too. Yeah, somebody's doing like very, very clean, like green stuff work, um, doing KO, but they're just instead of using ether gold, they're just inflating squigs. Um, like the balloons are all squigs. Paul was trying to think of his idea. I told him put squigs balloons. He was like, nah. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to see the tape in order to believe you, Eric. <laughs> you know what it would be called? It would be called ninety nine 
Squid balloons. <laughs> of um, course. <laughs> a f- friend or community member uh, on Twitter, Warboss Kurgan, um, has done a lot with Auric um, pirates and uh, put a ton of narrative work into into that and and uh, you know orcs on on airships and stuff. I have uh, I've talked about it before my dark elf Drukari drawn overlords um, using a lighter, faster, sleeker uh, kind of aesthetic, uh, riding the the aether winds and the aether currents. Um, like sailing, more like sailing ships than like uh, dirigibles, like the, which is much less safe than than the than the Dwarden do it. But uh, they like to live on the edge. Um, uh, what are some other ones, Josh, that that come to mind, or Ben uh, uh, themes uh, for this army? Ben, if you were to do uh, a KO army, what would you do differently? I think I I love seeing the orc. Or just destruction-based uh, armies. I think I'd go with something like that. Very cool. Yeah, I've seen some Skaven done uh, as pirates, KO themed, and they were really, really nicely done. And um, I also have seen some people paint up, uh, you know, as, as Paven mentioned earlier, some ghost Kahadran. So they painted the ghost, the the, the Kahadran, KO as ethereal looking look so they looked like night hop but they were all the ko models ko ships just a ghost fleet or ghost ships that were lost somewhere or killed and, and then still yeah. continued to haunt the skies yeah i like the idea of hollow suits yeah exactly oh very cool any other um i mean if you were to pick a realm to put uh, ko in um what realm would you pick um uh, ben if you were to to let's let's go around the horn real quick what element or, or um, realm would you infuse into your KO? Uh, I'm forgetting its name, but uh, the Arcus one? I'm forgetting its name. The Realm of Shadow is Ulgu. Uh, yep. Yeah, I think it would be uh, cool to see how they, like, what would happen when they were in the Realm of Shadows. I mean, we don't really know much about that place, so I think there's a bunch mm-hmm. of possibilities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of the Skyport's Barak Mornar. Yes, Mornar. Very cool, very cool. Uh, Josh, uh, if you were to do it again and, and pick a realm to infuse them with, uh, which realm would you go with? Um, I do like the concept of Gur. I mean, I know you've got yours kind of set there, but, you know, having some ideas of beastly or, you know, wearing lots of furs and being big on hunting and stuff would be kind of a cool take on it. What realm would you <laughs> would you pick for your KO, Paven? Can't say Shaman. You no, know, I I could have predicted that the question was going to come around to me and prepared. Um, <laughs> the, it's kind of the I, format of the show. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. I'm just gonna go go with my heart here. I would do Shayesh and Ghostbuster Ko. Nice. 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 <laughs> um, very cool. Very cool. I think they have I would it in the either. Lore too. Yeah. Um, I think I'd either do um, Hayesh or Azir, um, even though Azir doesn't totally make sense. But um, uh, when I, my initial Stormcast army I painted with silver and gold. And so I like the idea of maybe super blinged out, um, shiny, you know, everything's reflective, uh, chrome maybe, um, uh, just super bright coming down and, and uh, in a blaze of glory, mm-hmm. um, something like that. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, those are all fantastic ideas. Um, really cool stuff. Again, 
this this army just sparks the imagination. Um, so uh, with that, any uh, final words or or things that you would share, uh, Josh, on recommending this army for for players of of any sort? Definitely. Um, so again, you have a huge variety of options. So I think you know it can be a little overwhelming, um, and, and you do need to get a variety of kits to make it effective. You don't necessarily want to stick with just Thunders, just Arc Knots. You can to start with, but you'll definitely want to get some faster models and then a mix of the Thunders, which have some better weapons and a higher toughness, and some Arc Knots. It's, you're definitely going to want to balance. And um, But I think you know, if you try something out, if you don't like how it's working, you've got tons of options, different weapons. Switch it out, try something new, go with more models, go with fewer models. There's a lot of flexibility, I think, in this list. And uh, one of the things that took me a little while to get used to was having so few models and being slower because I had played the Cypher Lords. But, but also that everything shoots and how to maximize that and when to shoot and when to melee and having a good mix of both. But um, it, it does the, having an army where every model can shoot it can be quite powerful. So I think um, in leagues, just you know, kind of keep an eye on it. And if if there's not a lot of terrain or not a lot of line of sight blocking terrain, that might be something you want to introduce um, into that particular club or environment to help mitigate any issues that could arise from that. But but I really enjoyed playing them. I enjoyed the flexibility and, and the challenge of starting with fewer models and, and seeing how I could make that work. Any other thoughts on the, the Kradron Overlord before we uh, close out the show? Three, two, one. All right. Thank you guys for joining me. Obviously in this, uh, you know, this time of distancing, it's always good to get back online and chat with you guys. Ben, thanks for uh, jumping on the show, sharing your insights about the Legion of Nagash. Uh, and joining us for the first time. I'm sure we'll have you back again sometime. Um, and uh, to everybody listening, I uh, hope you're doing well, staying healthy, um, getting some hobby in where it helps you, and uh, not stressing out if you can't get to it either, because uh, there's a lot of, of, of things uh, that we have to take care of. So uh, until next time... It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good, good dog, support the show with a positive review on iTunes, sharing it with friends, joining us for hobby discussions at themotorrealms.com forward slash discord, or leave a tip at themotorrealms.com forward slash Patreon. More content is available at themotorrealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry. Welcome to the Midwest, I'm the truth, the narrative is driven by